1: This is just, uh, maybe for me, but just encourage it all. But, um, sometimes when uh, circumstances, or your environment, uh, is making you feel a certain way, right? <clears throat> but you're forgetting that whatever you do, right? Do everything for the Lord. So sometimes you feel like I'm not serving the Lord. I'm just doing something at home or at work, right? I'm just taking care of this task. But everything you do is for the Lord, right? So in Deuteronomy 28, 47, it says, If you don't serve the Lord your God with joy and enthusiasm for the abundance benefits he's received, and then it goes on. He wants us to serve Him with joy and gladness of heart. So I was just reminded that today I was like, oh, "Lord, okay, I'm sorry." So just, just don't forget that He is, like, He's always there with you, and there's a reason to be joyful. He doesn't, doesn't have any reason. There's a huge reason for you to be joyful, and it's bigger than what's around you in your body.
0: Yeah. Amen. Amen. Yeah, and just uh, to jump on that, there is a verse that I feel like fits. Habakkuk three seventeen 17 through 19 says, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the, yields yield, and the fields yield no food, the flock, will be, the flock may be cut off from the fold, and there may be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation." God the Lord is my strength, and He makes my feet like the deer's, and He makes me tread on high places, right? So it's like in, in, in everything, rejoice. And then, you know, when you think about like the no walls, let the Lord end everywhere in our life, it's to be in every part, every dimension of our life, whether it's uh, civil or religious, right? Because everything is unto the Lord. Yeah. amen. I always enjoy Psalm one nineteen, and sometimes it just seems to line up with uh, with the message overall. When we read there, talking about you have laid down precepts that are to be fully obeyed. Oh, that my ways were said steadfast in obeying your decrees, then I would not be put to shame. Right when I put it, consider all your commands, and there's an aspect there where I don't know. I, I kind of sense that then being put to shame is the aspect of going into exile, right? Being in a place that is far from the Lord. Like if we don't walk according to His ways, if we aren't steadfast, then we run the risk of putting up barriers between us and the Lord that would then lead to shame. But then, that place of shame isn't the end point. That place of exile is not the end point. Um, there's a quote that uh, I don't know who to attribute it to, but I had read it and it's, I, I know I've said it in the past, and it's just so good. What it says is, No tragedy is so great or, downf- or downfall so complete that it is beyond God's power to change it to hope and rebirth. Right. I don't want to say it again because I kind of stumbled there, but no tragedy is so great or downfall so complete that it is beyond God's power to change it to hope and rebirth. All right. And this morning in prayer, uh, I, I, this verse kept coming to me from Joel 2, 25 which says, I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten. Okay? Now, I'm only reading the first part of that verse. We'll probably come back and read the second part later. You know how sometimes we can quote parts of verses and be like, yeah, that's awesome, you know? It's like, wait, wait, but there's more. <laughs> and it's like, well, the other part, you know, there's, there's something to it. But I wanted to start out with that, with the aspect of, I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten. And along with that, I was thinking about this phrase, and I'm going to say part of it, and you just kind of complete it in your mind. The relentless pursuit of what do you think? Happiness. happiness. Okay. All right. The pursuit of happiness. Awesome. Great. What's that? Little, happiness. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's okay. All right, but yeah, I'm with you. Okay. Well, this is good. We're talking about joy this morning, so I'm glad y'all are along those lines. But one of the things, you know, like if you is it Lexus? I think they say the relentless pursuit of perfection. You know, and um, that's all. That's but you know I don't want to talk necessarily today about the relentless pursuit of perfection. But what I, what I was thinking about in relation to this week's portion is God's relentless pursuit of His people. Godless, God's relentless pursuit of restoration. Because this week we're going to talk about the Shemitah and the Yovel, right? The, the sabbatical year and the Jubilee year. Um, before we do that, let's go talk about Zacchaeus. So let's go to Luke 19. All right, Luke 19. And this, uh, the verse we have up here on the screen is the end of the story. So I'm just going to paraphrase the original part of the story. So Yeshua is going through the towns and he's coming into a town and there's a tax collector named Zacchaeus and he hears that Yeshua is on his way and he wants to see him. But there's a reason why Zacchaeus is not going to be able to see him. He says it's because of the crowd for he was small in stature. And he ran on ahead and climbed into a sycamore tree in order to see him, because he was gonna see Yeshua as he passed by. Now, in the scripture where it says he was small in stature, right? <laughs> okay, there's some kind of joke going on. But anyway, there's uh but Zacchaeus was short in stature short in stature. So was he physically short? Or was he short in some other way in which he was seen? And it could be both, right? One or the other. I'm not necessarily gonna say it's gotta be one, but it would make sense okay if he's short he's gonna go climb the tree so he can see okay that's good that works but what if the fact is that he's a tax collector and he's a sinner and he's untouchable right he's contaminated and so nobody would want him around he can't really stand among the people he can't get too close so he's small in the eyes of the people small in stature and so he goes and says okay I can't get close because I'm a worm Okay, I'm a son of Abraham, but I'm a worm because I'm a sinner and this is what, who I've become. And so he goes to climb up. And when Yeshua came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for today I must stay at your house. Think about that, okay? Think about the restoration that's taking place where this guy says, I can't even be, I'm not fit to be around. I'm just going to go climb up this tree so I can at least get a glimpse. And Yeshua coming by sees him, calls him by name and says, I'm going to come to your house. Right? That's pretty cool. So Zacchaeus hurried and came down and and received Yeshua gladly. And when they saw it, they all began to grumble saying, he's gone to the guest of a man who is a sinner. Right? And Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, behold, Half of my possessions I will give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. And Yeshua said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. So Yeshua says, Today Yeshua has come to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham. Right, So Yeshua, the one who is called salvation, was coming to his house. And a restoration was taking place in the home of Zacchaeus. And Yeshua says that he had come to seek and to save that which was lost. His purpose was to go out and to seek the lost sheep of the house of Israel to bring them back. And what was part of this restoration that Zacchaeus was going through? Part of this restoration was something stirred in him to want to see the Savior right and the Savior invited him and his action was repentance saying what I've done wrong I'll make right and I'll begin to walk in the path of righteousness and faithfulness so you when Yeshua said the Son of Man had come to seek and to save that which was lost that's that's hearkening back to Ezekiel 34 We won't read all of Ezekiel 34, but in Ezekiel 34, 15 through 16, the word says, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them to lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back, back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak. And he goes on to say in Ezekiel 34, 23, I will set over them one shepherd. My servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd, and I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord, and I have spoken. I will make them I will make with them a covenant of peace and banish wild beasts from the land, so that they may dwell securely in the wilderness and sleep in the woods. And I will make them and the places all around my hill a blessing. and I will send down the showers and their seasons. They may be showers of blessing, and the trees of the field shall yield their fruit, and the earth shall yield its increase, and they shall be secure in their land, and they shall know that I am the Lord when I break the bars of their yoke and deliver them from the hand of those who enslaved them. They shall no more be a prey to the nations, nor shall the beasts of the land devour them. They shall dwell securely, and none shall make them afraid. Right, so that's what Yeshua is hearkening back to. And saying God was going to send out a good shepherd over the sheep of Israel. And he was going to call them back. And he was going to send forth blessing. And so that's Luke 19 where Yeshua is saying that about Zacchaeus. Saying that he, essentially he's saying I am the good shepherd. I am working to fulfill God's desire to bring back the lost sheep of the house of Israel. To then bring forth blessing where there had been curse. And earlier in the book of Luke, when Yeshua is beginning his ministry in Luke 4, Luke 4 verse 14, this is right after Yeshua's time in the wilderness, in his 40 days in the wilderness, the scripture says Yeshua returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, and gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, is this not Joseph's son? All right, so Yeshua is speaking of being sent to set the captives free and to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And so a question is, what is this release of the captives and this favorable year of the Lord that Yeshua is speaking of? And this is where we're tying into this week's portion because in some aspects he's alluding to the Shemitah and the Yovel, right? The Shemitah and the Yovel, the Shemitah is the sabbatical year, it is the seventh year. So for six years the children of Israel can sow and plant and reap their land, but the seventh year they do not. And in the seventh year, also at the conclusion of the seventh year, debts are canceled between a Jewish person and, well, between Jewish people, okay? So the, the debts are canceled, so there's a bit of a reset that's taking place. People who have come into a place of having to borrow are set back and placed into a more firm financial situation, and then they begin another seven-year period. So you have these miniature resets that are taking place, help people get back on their feet and then the scriptures also speak about something called the jubilee or the yovel which is after you have gone through seven full shemitah cycles so after you've completed 49 years then in the 50th year he proclaimed jubilee and jubilee is a whole different level of restoration that's taking place so we're going to read about these and then we'll take some breaks and discuss but leviticus 25 verse 1 it's the beginning of our portion this week of Behar uh, the Lord spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai saying speak to the people of Israel and say to them when you come into the land that I give you the land shall keep a Sabbath to the Lord and I interesting, the land shall keep a Sabbath to the Lord right specifically The land shall keep a Sabbath to the Lord. For six years you shall sow your field, and for six years you shall prune your vineyard and gather in its fruits. But in the seventh year there shall be a Sabbath of solemn rest for the land, a Sabbath to the Lord. You shall not sow your field or prune your vineyard. You shall not reap what grows of itself in your harvest or gather the grapes of your undressed vine. It shall be a year of solemn rest for the land. The Sabbath of the land shall provide food for you, for yourself and for your male and female slaves, and for your hired worker and the sojourner who lives with you, and for your cattle and for the wild animals that are in your land. All its yield shall be for food. You shall count seven weeks of years, seven times seven years, so that the time of the seven weeks of years shall give you forty-nine years. Then you shall sound the loud trumpet, the shofar, on the on the tenth day of the seventh month. On the Day of Atonement you shall sound the trumpet throughout your land. And you shall consecrate the fiftieth year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you, when each of you shall return to his property, and each of you shall return to his clan. That fiftieth year shall be a jubilee for you. In it you shall neither sow nor reap what grows of itself, nor gather the grapes from the undressed vines, for it is a jubilee. It shall be holy to you. You may eat the produce of the field, In this year of the jubilee each of you shall return to his property. And so in this, so you have the Shemitah cycle, debts are forgiven, and then you have seven cycles of that followed by the Jubilee year. And in this year, you proclaim a release throughout the land. You proclaim freedom throughout the land. The Jubilee is known as the year of freedom. And it also, has, it also alludes to the ram's horn, interestingly enough. So we'll probably come back and talk a little bit about that. But within the Jubilee, as we just saw, it's freedom throughout the land for all the inhabitants. The, the land is returned to the ancestral heritage. So if someone had to sell their land at any point in time during the prior 49 years, it's coming back to them in this year, unless it's in a walled city. So there's certain circumstances where it doesn't apply. But um, if it's outside of a walled city, then it's going back to the original owner. Slaves are set free whether they had served their full six years or not because in the scriptures it speaks of slaves working for six years and in the seventh year they go free. In this case, if someone had only been enslaved two years, they're going to go free when the Jubilee comes. So this is an unconditional freedom to the people. Debts are forgiven. Loans are canceled. And then in that 50th year, there is no sowing or harvesting. So you actually have back-to-back years at this point in time of no sowing or harvesting. Yet God abundantly blesses the prior year's harvest such that the children of Israel would have enough food from that prior year harvest to last multiple years. Right? So um, let's continue going forward here in, in verse 18. Therefore, you shall you shall do my statutes and keep my rules and perform them, and then you will dwell in the land securely. The land will yield its fruit, fruit, and you will eat your fill and dwell in it securely. Now, if you from what we read before in Ezekiel, we're hearing echoes, right? Because in Ezekiel, when he was bringing back the people, the field was going to produce its fruit, that, or the trees were going to yield their fruit, and God was going to give the early and the latter rains to cause the fields to be abundant. And here, there's, again, speaking of a restoration that's taking place to the land, where it's going to yield its fruit. It will eat, or they will eat and fill their fill and dwell in, it, and in the land securely. And with you say, what shall we eat in the seventh year, if we may not sow or gather in our crop? I will command my blessing upon you in the sixth year, So that it will produce a crop sufficient for three years. When you sow in the eighth year, you will be eating some of the old crop. And you shall eat the old until the ninth year when its crop arrives. So God causes a massive abundance to come in that sixth year. Now, the fool in his heart says, wow, this is a great abundance. Next year will be even better when I sow and harvest and so forth, right? But the Lord's providing for the sake of you being able to walk fully in his commandments and still eat to satisfaction and have all you need. All right. So the Lord gives all that's needed so that the children of Israel can walk in his ways. Now let's go to... Okay, let's continue on in verse 23. The land shall not be sold in perpetuity for the land is mine. You are strangers and, and sojourners with me. And in all the country you possess, you shall allow a redemption of the land. If your brother becomes poor and sells part of his property, then his nearest redeemer shall come and redeem what his brother has sold. If a man has no one to redeem it and then himself becomes prosperous and finds sufficient means to redeem it, let him calculate the year since he sold it and pay back the balance to the man to whom he sold it and then return to his property. But if he does not have sufficient means to recover it, Then what he sold shall remain in the hand of the buyer until the year of jubilee. In the jubilee it shall be released, and he shall return to his property. So, within the scriptures here, God's giving his reason for why the land cannot be sold perpetually. He says it's because it's my land, and I've placed you on it as my tenants. Right? Interestingly enough, he says that you are strangers and those who dwell among me. He's speaking to his children, right? Over the past couple of weeks, we've read about the children of Israel and then the stranger who dwells among them. You know, those who've come and attached themselves to Israel and are now partaking of the blessings and so forth and worshiping the God of Israel. And then God refers to all of them and says, you're all strangers and dwellers among me because you've all attached yourself to me. And says... The whole earth is mine. All the land is mine, and all the people are mine. But this land is a specific blessing that I've chosen to place my name, and then also this people who I've redeemed out of Egypt, they are my people. And that's why you can't sell, that's why a Jewish person can't be sold into slavery perpetually, because they belong to God. And in the year of the Jubilee, he says they're to be set free, just as the land is to be set free from any hindrance, such that the, there is a full restoration taking place. And all these restorations are for the, well, it's for the sake of the land, yes, and it's for the sake of the people too, in order to take people who have fallen and restore them to a place where they can walk in freedom, where they can walk according to the blessings and the gifts that God has given to them, right? So the the, the forgiveness of debt at the end of seven years, that's kind of the miniature reset kind of a rebalancing okay and then if those aren't sufficient to set somebody back to where they can redeem their land or where they can get back to their full state of recovery then god has it built into place to where they will have a full restoration at the end after in that 50th year so god's always putting in mechanisms by which he can bring about restoration and what we just read in that last passage was when someone becomes impoverished and has to uh, sell, then they should have their brother, really the brother close to them, come and redeem them. Right? The first step wasn't, hey, redeem yourself. It was this brother of yours, that's the first solution. Someone to come alongside you, to walk with you, to help get you back on your feet such that you can move back forward in the blessings, and it's, it's a brother that comes nearby. When we read over and over in the scriptures in this week's portion, it's always speaking about the brother coming, okay, because it's looking for a family walking together who are going to look out for each other. And then take it to a whole new level. The brother who is nearest to you And think about the redemption that comes through Yeshua, right, who was of the Jewish nation, who was a brother to his people and came to bring a redemption, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and the release of the captives, right? He was coming to usher in a period of renewal where the children of God could walk according to his promises. Even if the final redemption wasn't here yet, right? There's still a redemption to walk in, a newness of life to walk in, in relationship with him. And part of, you know, you think about Yeshua coming and proclaiming this year, favorable year of the Lord. A key message within the favorable year of the Lord and this release of the captives was this release from that which bound them. It was a release from... and the thing, that would, the thing that bound them was the temptation for sin. The walking away from God, setting aside the commandments, and coming into a place of separation and exile. And his message was always repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And that repentance was the thing that Zacchaeus was doing that we talked about earlier where he said what I've done wrong I'm gonna make right and I'm not going to charge people more going forward I'm going to walk in a way that brings honor to God and actually reflects the reality of who God was making him to be now the sabbatical year being followed was of key importance to the children of Israel continuing to walk in freedom and being able to dwell in the land Okay, And part of it was for the restoration of the land and part of it was from the aspect that when we walk according to God's ways that He's revealed, then the result is life. The result is prosperity. The result is God being able to pour out the blessings as He has desired and as He has designed them to come. Now the first temple was destroyed for, for one reason, because the children of Israel did not keep the sabbatical years. Okay, if we're not going to go read all of these uh, passages. Actually, I will read Jeremiah 37, four, or 34, 17, which says, Therefore, thus says the Lord, you have not obeyed me by proclaiming liberty, everyone to his brother and to his neighbor. Behold, I proclaim to you liberty, to the sword, to pestilence, and to famine, declares the Lord. I will make you a horror to all of the kingdoms of the earth. So the Lord said, because you haven't walked as a brother, because you have not treated your brother kindly with equity according to my word restoring bringing that redeemer bringing restoration now i'm going to proclaim liberty to you but not the liberty that you would want but the liberty that you are producing by your own behavior and that liberty is a liberty outside of what god's plan of blessing is and so then he brings destruction and if we read in uh well, Second Chronicles 36, 20 to 21 speaks of the 70 years being a result <clears throat> of the 70 years where the land did not keep its Sabbath. And so God was going to cause the land to have its Sabbath. Even though Israel was going to go into exile, that was not going to be the end for them. For in Jeremiah 29, 10 through 14, the scripture says, Thus says the Lord, when seventy years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. So even in the time of that exile, God is saying, I have good plans and purposes for you. And I'm going to bring you back. Don't lose heart, right? Walk in faithfulness and I'm going to bring you back. Now, before they went into exile, before they went into exile, God put a challenge before Jeremiah. And we read about it in in this week's Haftarah. Let's go to Jeremiah 32. I don't know if we're going to read all of this. Okay, so the Lord began, spoke to Jeremiah, saying that his brother was going to come to him, asking Jeremiah to redeem a portion of land. Okay. And so then his brother did come, just as the Lord had said. In verse 8, he says, By my field that is at uh, Anatoth, in the land of Benjamin, for the right Of possession and redemption is yours. Buy it for yourself. And so then Jeremiah knew that this was the word of the Lord. He says, I bought the field at Anathoth from Hanamel, my cousin, and weighed out the money to him, 17 shekels of silver. I signed the deed, sealed it, got witnesses, and weighed the money on scales. Then I took the sealed deed of purchase, containing the terms and conditions and the open copy. And I gave the deed of purchase to Baruch, the son of Neriah, son of Maseah, in the presence of Hanamel, my cousin, in the presence of the witnesses who signed the deed of purchase, and in the presence of all the Judeans who were sitting in the court of the guard. And I charged Baruch in their presence, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Take these deeds, both this sealed deed of purchase and this open deed, and put them in an earthenware vessel that they may last for a long time. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Houses and fields and vineyards shall again be bought in this land. Okay, and why is that so important that he says this? Because they're about to go into exile. Okay, so why would Jeremiah have any interest in buying a parcel of land that is his right to redeem when they're about to be overtaken by Babylon and go into exile to where Babylon has all the land? Because God's faithfulness. That's exactly right. Right? Because there's a belief and an expectation that God is going to fulfill his word. And that even though an exile is coming, that exile will not last. And the word of the Lord is that houses and fields and vineyards shall again be bought in this land. So Jeremiah took great care to go and make a legal purchase. Right? We record how much money he weighed out. We record who was there signing it witnessing it whose hand it was given into and that it should be stored and preserved for a future date in which you could take the de- the deed and say look this is mine i've bought it i own it and i'm going to be i'm going to be building houses planting fields and vineyards in this land again because that's the word of the lord and that's his faithfulness yes this is uh, this is jeremiah 32 mhm and after I'd given the deed of purchase to Baruch, the son of Neriah, I prayed to the Lord, saying, "'Ah, Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. You show steadfast love to thousands, but you repaid the guilt of fathers to their children after them. O great and mighty God, whose name is the Lord of hosts, great in counsel and mighty indeed, whose eyes are open to all the ways of the children of man, rewarding each one according to his ways and according to the fruit of his deeds. You have shown signs and wonders in the land of Egypt and to this day in Israel and among all mankind and have made a name for yourself as at this day. You brought your people Israel out of the land of Egypt with signs and wonders, with a strong hand and outstretched arm, and with great terror. And you gave them this land, which you swore to their fathers to give them, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they entered and took possession of it, but they did not obey your voice or walk in your Torah. They did nothing of all you commanded them to do. Therefore, you have made all this disaster come upon them. Behold, the siege mounts have come up to the city to take it, and because of sword and famine and pestilence, the city is given into the hands of the Chaldeans who are fighting against it. What you spoke has come to pass, and behold, you see it. Yet you, O Lord God, have said to me, Buy the field for money and get witnesses. Though the city is given into the hand of the Chaldeans, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Jeremiah, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me? So he says, look around you. It looks like all hope is gone. It looks like just take whatever you can and flee. Right? But he says, no, buy here. Because I will restore it. I will restore it. Again, this goes back to the the idea that no tragedy is so great or downfall, downfall so complete that it is beyond God's power to change it to hope and to rebirth. And that's the word that came to Jeremiah, and Jeremiah said, I believe it. And this is one thing, too, I kept thinking about this week. theres uh, I don't remember where this came from, but I do know it's, it's from uh, Charles and Francis Hunter. But I don't know if it's part of a song, but it says, God said it, I believe it, I know it happened just like he said it would. You know, God said it, I believe it, I know it happened just like he said it would. Right? And it's because the word of the Lord is true. He's faithful. Nothing is too difficult for him. Nothing is too difficult. And so no matter how dark times get, there's always still hope, right? Yeshua came at a time of great darkness. And then he stands up in the synagogue and reads and says, I'm here to proclaim release to the captives in the favorable year of the Lord. And today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing, right? It says, Even though you look around and great darkness has come, the Lord is sending a Redeemer. The Lord's plan is restoration because He's relentlessly pursuing His sheep. He's relentlessly calling them back no matter where they sit, no matter what their stature is, no matter how they've come to where they are. He says, I've got a plan for restoration and it's going to come. Now may a brother arise to come alongside and strengthen you in the way. And bring that redemption. I was also drawn to Joel 2. Oh yeah. We read from Joel 2 earlier. Right? That's That was one of our verses that we read at the beginning there. Where we talked about God saying, I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten. And what was that That's Joel 2.25. Joel 2.25. I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten." Now the second part of that verse is interesting because, yeah here, let's jump to it right there. I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the hopper, the destroyer, and the cutter, my great army which I sent among you. (laughs) It's like, wait a second. So the Lord said that He sent the locust and the and the grasshopper or the 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 gra- the hopper the destroyer the cutter all those, my great army which I sent among you, those are what devoured. But yet even that which was devoured at the word of the Lord, He's going to restore. You say, why did He send destruction? You know, and the re- reason why He sent the the destruction, was to bring His people back. That was the path that was needed. In this relentless pursuit of restoration, to bring the people to a point of repentance whereby he could restore all that was lost. Um, in Joel 2, let's go ahead and read a few verses here in verse 12. So the, the children or the the children of Israel have come into a bad state in, in where we're reading here in Joel. And They've, they've, they've experienced the destruction that was a result of their own sinfulness. And God's answer in this from this place, I want to see if there's something I wanted to read before this. It's actually just before this where the scripture is talking about this great army that the Lord sent to devour. Okay? So he sends this Army to devour, his this army being the locusts and so forth. And then he says, even now, in this place where destruction has come, where great loss has been incurred, even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, weeping, and mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord, for he is gracious and merciful. Slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. Who knows whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. Blow the trumpet in Zion, consecrate a fast, call the solemn assembly and gather the people, consecrate the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children, even nursing infants. Let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber. Between the vestibule and the altar, let the priest, the minister of the Lord, weep and say, Spare your people, O Lord, and make not your heritage a reproach, a byword among the nations. Why should they say among the peoples, where is their God? So he's calling them to intercede, to turn back and to walk in faithfulness unto the Lord. And that's when he goes forward and says, Do not fear, O land. Rejoice and be glad, for the Lord has done great things. Fear not, O land. Right? Fear not, O land. Why not? it fear not, O people? Interesting, right? Because we're talking about this week, the land having its Sabbath, the land bringing forth produce. The land giving the provision for the people, for all people. Right. Especially in that sabbatical year when the owner of the land is not harvest, but all of the all of the goods are given to all the people. Hey,
1: hey Chris. Yes. I was thinking about Romans 8 and talks about creation uh-huh. is growing. I mean, even God's anything that God has touched and brought into creation knows that things aren't right. Uh huh. And it's just interesting how he refers to the land so many times about grasp. I mean, we don't it's hard to understand that concept. Uh huh but there's a relationship between God's creation beyond what we could ever understand. Yes. So it's just, it's fascinating.
0: Absolutely. That's excellent because, yeah, all of creation groans for the revealing of the sons of God and for this restoration that's coming. And, you know, there's also warnings that that God gave to the children of Israel and said, if you do all these things that the nations before you have done, if you walk in their depravity, then the land will vomit you out right interesting right so there's this interconnectedness where again god is restoring all things all of his creation and of course a key part of that is the restoration of his people who then partner with him in the restoration of all things by walking in faithfulness by upholding his word and then the result is the restoration of the land um And so he talks about the tree bears its fruit, and the fig tree and the vine give their full yield. And and then he goes on, Be glad, O children of of, of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given the early rain for your vindication. He has poured down for you abundant rain. The early and the latter rain as before. The threshing forest shall be full of grain. The vat shall overflow with wine and oil. Right. And so again, he's speaking about giving the rains pouring down the rains and so that's a consistent theme of god sending the rain for the land to produce and for the the field to produce the vines to yield and for the land to be blessed and that's actually even how next week's portion opens up with god talking about if you're walking in faithfulness to me then i'm going to send the former and the latter rain and i'm going to cause the land to flourish this is it it's just a, the same topic interwoven throughout the scriptures. Now, so at the time of the announcement of the jubilee, the scripture said that the jubilee year is announced on the Day of Atonement. So in the 50th year, ju- so the jubilee is proclaimed in the 50th year. And then the, the release, so it's early on in the year when it's proclaimed. All right. Um, even, it's even said that at the time of Rosh Hashanah, that that's when the year is proclaimed, but it's on the 10th when everyone goes free, on the Day of Atonement, when when the, the slaves go free and everything is fully put in force. And there's the sound of the shofar at that time. And inter- an interesting connection with this, this blast that happens on the Day of Atonement, is the announcement of the jubilee year. And there's another time when the word yovel is used in the scriptures. It's used all the way back in Exodus 19. Okay, Exodus 19, 10 through 13. This is right on the heels of God saying, I'm going to take you to me as a treasured possession. Just hearken to my voice and listen to me. And the Lord says to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And you shall set limits for the people all around saying, take care not not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. Now when the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. That blast is the yovel. So that's the other time that the script that's used in Scripture. So here at the time, the children of Israel are at Mount Sinai, getting ready to enter into covenant with God, being, having gone from slaves, redeemed out of Egypt, brought to the mountain, which actually, you know, when we said today's portion is Bihar, that's in the mountain, Okay, in the mountain of Sinai is how this week's portion opens up and then goes on to talk about the Yovo. If you go back to Exodus 19, they're at the mountain talking about the Yovo. Okay, so there's a connection between what's taking place at Sinai and what's taking place in the year of Jubilee. And so what, they, what he says is that the sound of the shofar, they shall come up the mountain. Now, at this point in time when god came down on the mountain and the great shofar sounded and they saw the fire and the th- and and the thunders they didn't all go up the mountain right but it was he was calling it at the sound of the shofar there's going to be a lifting up right there's going to be a lifting up to the mountain of god and there's going to be a connection between god and man and this covenant is going to be established So then, then you fast forward to Yeshua and he says, I'm proclaiming the year of the Lord. And he then offers himself up as a sacrifice. And we've talked about the parallels of Yeshua and his Passover with the redemption out of Egypt. And then out of Egypt, the children of Israel were led for seven cycles of seven. And then on the following day, on the 50th day, they were given the Ten Commandments, the giving of the Torah. Okay, so you had the redemption, you had the seven cycles of seven, you had the 50th day, and you have the giving of the Torah. All right, so again, now we're coming back to in the mountain, and we've just gone through the seven cycles, and you're in the 50th day, and we're talking about the Yovel. So the connection between the counting of the Omer and the Shemitah and the redemption, I mean, it's linked. It's very clearly linked here in the scripture. And then you have the same thing happen with Yeshua, right? His redemption, his Passover, followed by seven weeks of seven. And then on the 50th day, the disciples are at the mountain of God at the temple. They're Bihar, bah- right? And the Holy Spirit comes and is poured out on each of them. That's the inauguration of the covenant. That's another covenantal increase that's taking place on this 50th day when there's an elevation taking place where people are moving higher in covenant with God. And so we talk about the Yovel. We talk about the, this 50th year when there is a release of all the captives and all the ancestral land goes back to the right heritage as complete restoration. And now we tie it further and we look at what's going to take place at the time of Yeshua's return. Right? You're going to have a great shofar that blasts. Right? And then the scripture says that we will meet him in Shemaim, in the air. Right? And the scriptures speak of how God will carry the exiles from the ends of the earth on the clouds... To Jerusalem right so when the scriptures say that we'll meet him in the air at the sound of the shofar at this time of the great redemption at the time of the ultimate Jubilee we're carried on the clouds of heaven to be in his presence at Jerusalem right so again it's all these connections of this increase of covenant this increase of relationship that are taking place and an increase of freedom really of what true freedom is which is relationship with god and knowing god is be, is occurring in this yovel in this 50th day or 50th year so it's a really neat aspect of how god ties in these themes of redemption and restoration and how he brings it back always saying I'm seeking you out, no matter what the circumstances look like, no matter how far you've fallen. There's always the redemption. Now, in the midst of it, we, re- we Philip was speaking earlier about how we need to find joy in all of our times and all of our circumstances, right? And it's not always easy to do that. We're in the when we're in the midst of trial, we're in the midst of hardship. But again, this is where we go back and say, God has sent a helper. And the Holy Spirit. Right? And if you I was going to talk about John 14 today, but I don't think I'm going to go there right now. But in John 14, you know, God's talking about this desire that He has for us to walk in faithfulness to His to His covenant and to have a unity that takes place between Him and us. And in John 17, of course, you have the high priestly prayer where Yeshua's crying out for God to bring a unity amongst the body of believers, right? For him to bring reconciliation and then for the brothers also to be in unity and reconciliation with one another, standing as helpers, those who would come alongside, right? And one of the things that Yeshua says in in that chapter is he says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you, right? Even though you may be exiled, you may be, set far off. I'm not going to leave you as an orphan. I'm going to come as that redeemer and bring you back to what your true ancestral heritage is, which is to know God and to be in right relationship with Him. Right? And so when we're in the midst of that time of waiting, there's always hope. And so in Habakkuk 3, 17 through 19, which we, which we said earlier, The idea is rejoicing in the Lord, even when we encounter times when the fig tree isn't blossoming or there's not fruit on the vines, right? Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength and he makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me to tread on high places. That can only happen with the Lord lifting us up. Right. Just what we've talked about in weeks past, you know, how he will renew our strength and cause us to mount up on wings as eagles to run and not grow weary, to walk and not faint. Right. Because we do it with our eyes on him rejoicing in what he has done and has said he will do. Right. So. As as we're walking right now, we are five weeks into the counting of the omer we have two weeks left right today is day 35 we're counting up to 49 and then on the 50th we're going to rejoice in the Lord to celebrate the giving of the Torah and the giving of the Spirit the covenantal increase and then the looking forward to the time of a greater covenantal increase we're just as God says I will give he says he'll give his servant as a covenant of peace for the people right He's given Yeshua as a covenant of peace and the fulfillment or the fullness of that will come. It will be glorious. Every person will sit under their vine and fig tree because this restoration that God has proclaimed will take place and the years that have been consumed will be restored when we hearken to His voice. Right? Amen. Lord, we thank you for your plans and your purposes. Lord, thank you that you're always pursuing restoration of all of your creation. And thank you, Lord, that you've given it to us to partner with you. Thank you, Lord, for this time of the county of the Omer, this time of expectation that is growing of the return of Yeshua, of this increase, of a restoration. Lord, I pray that you would help us as we walk through our days, just as Philip said earlier, as we go about our activities, Lord, that we may understand that we are doing, to do all things to you and for you, for your name's sake, Lord, that we would bring you honor and praise and glory in the sight of all the nations, Lord, that we would be encouraged along the way, that we would remember your faithfulness and to know that there is nothing that is too difficult for you, and that you have said that you will bring restoration that you will restore that which the enemy has taken, even that which has, has been consumed in the years that were intended to bring us back to you. Lord, may we, may we be quick to hear your voice, to respond to you, to return to you with all of our heart, to seek you while you may be found. Even if it requires climbing a tree, Lord, to just go and to just desire to see you. Lord, we need an encounter with you. We need to behold you, to hear your voice, to get a revelation and vision and wisdom from you, Lord. And I ask that you would open our eyes to see and our ears to hear, that we may pursue you and to to delight in you and in your word. May we strengthen one another along the way as well, Lord, and dwell in unity as you've called us to do. We bless you and thank you in the name of Yeshua. Amen. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this message, please consider sharing it with a friend or family member and help us out by giving a review on iTunes or other podcast platform. Check out our website at walkingemmausroad.org for additional teachings and information about visiting Emmaus Road in Kingwood, Texas.